It's philosophy talk. What does the future hold for the American Republic? Is the U.S. on the road to authoritarianism? I think people can look at Russia and say, well, that was never a mature democracy, and we are. But what scares me is how easily most of that could happen without people even noticing it very much. Is America on the road to civil war? I do think we have to stop denying that this could happen in the United States. We've already had one civil war. Or could there be brighter days ahead? I think there is a genuine chance, maybe even a decent probability, that in 2025 we emerge into something that approaches normal politics in America. American Futures, coming up on Philosophy Talk. Where is America headed as a nation? Are we on the brink of tyranny, a national divorce, or civil war? What can we do to bring about some brighter days? Welcome to Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Except your intelligence. I'm Josh Landy. And I'm Ray Briggs. We're coming to you via the studios of KALW San Francisco Bay Area. Continuing conversations that begin at Philosopher's Corner on the Stanford campus, where Ray teaches philosophy and I direct the Philosophy and Literature Initiative. Today, it's a special edition of the program, inspired by our late colleague, co-host, and friend Ken Taylor, and made possible by support from the Ken Taylor Memorial Fund. We're thinking about American futures. At the time of his sudden passing in 2019, Ken was working on a book he titled Farewell to the Republic We Once Dreamt Of. He explained some of his motivation for it in a blog post a year earlier. He said, On my bad days, I think that there is little hope for America, primarily because so many Americans don't really like other Americans very much at all. Indeed, they've completely lost the ability to speak to each other. So in the spirit of Ken's unfinished work, we'll spend today's episode considering what the future might hold for the American Republic. And to be clear, a lot of it ain't pretty. Later in the program, we'll talk to experts on how civil wars start and how authoritarian regimes take hold in previously democratic states. We'll also consider whether the United States can, or even should, keep it together as one nation. But it's not all doom and gloom. And by the end of the show, we'll also sketch out what might change in the near term to bring America back from the brink of its darkest possible futures. To get us started on thinking about where we're headed, we sent our roving philosophical reporter, Holly J. McDeed, to listen to where we've been in the U.S. in 2023. She files this report. It's therefore with great hope that I declare COVID-19 over as a global health emergency. GPT-4 takes what you prompt it with and just runs with it. From one perspective, it's a tool, a thing you can use to get useful tasks done in language. It's both exhilarating as well as terrifying That's to for people. Sure. People should be happy that we're a little bit scared of this. poverty, that they're losing money left and right when giving hundreds of millions of dollars to their CEOs. We are the frontline healthcare workers, and we are struggling. We're exhausted. We have been through the pandemic shorthanded. We have still been showing up shorthanded. Donald J. Trump is under arrest. He was read his Miranda rights. Then he claimed that Miranda wasn't even his type, asked her to sign an NDA, and got indicted again. 
wait until he finds out all this time he had the right to remain silent. He's going to kick him. The total number of votes cast is 428, of which the Honorable Kevin McCarthy of the state of California has received 216. That was easy, huh? The resolution is adopted. The office of Speaker of the House of the United States House of Representatives is hereby declared vacant. Israelis woke up today to find their worst nightmares had come true. Palestinian gunmen are inside Israeli cities and towns. Israel is bombing the Gaza Strip relentlessly, targeting Hamas leaders, hitting the border crossing with Egypt, where Palestinians are trying desperately to get out. Do you want Israel to scale back its assault on Gaza in, by the end of the year? Do you want them to tone it down? I want them to be focused on how to save civilian lives. Not stop going after Hamas, but be more careful. I know it's true. It's all because of you. It's like John's there, you know. It's far out. It's probably like the last Beatles song. is marking the 50th anniversary of hip-hop born at a party in the Bronx back in 1973 from that faithful basement back on Cedric Avenue hip-hop as we knew it was born welcome to the Eras tour this has been the most extraordinary experience of my entire life this year she was like politics or the weather meaning she's about the topics that everybody talks about all the time hey Barbie can I come to your house tonight? Sure. This is the best day ever. It is the best day ever. So is yesterday, and so is tomorrow, and every day from now until forever. Yeah. You guys ever think about dying? Our work here will ensure a peace mankind has never seen. Until somebody builds a bigger one. For Philosophy Talk, I'm Holly J. McDeed. Thanks for that bracing tour of the American year past, Holly. You're listening to Philosophy Talk. And today, we're thinking about American futures in honor of our late colleague and co-host, Ken Taylor. You know, Ray, some of what we just heard is encouraging, but some of it's pretty troubling. Right. You might even worry that the fabric of American society is starting to fall apart. Could we even be headed for civil war? We're joined now by Barbara Walter. She's Professor of International Affairs at the School of Global Policy and Strategy at UC San Diego and author of How Civil Wars Start and How to Stop Them. We asked her why she thinks America is on the verge of a civil war. I've studied civil wars around the globe for the last 30 years. And for five years, I served on a task force run by the CIA called the Political Instability Task Force. And one of its main goals was to come up with a predictive model that would help the U.S. government predict what countries around the world were likely to experience political instability and political violence. And um, that model was actually quite good. It had about an 80 percent success rate in, in predicting what countries were going down this path. And it turns out that actually only two factors um, really matter. All right. What are those two factors? So one was something called anocracy. That's just a fancy term for partial democracy. And the second factor was whether citizens in these partial democracies 
um, organized politically around ethnicity, religion, or race, and not around ideology. So it would be a country like Yugoslavia right after the Soviet Union collapsed that was trying desperately to democratize. It had elements of democracy, but it still had elements of autocracy. And then Yugoslav citizens, rather than forming parties around whether people uh, were more inclined to be communist or capitalist, liberal or conservative, they formed parties based on whether they were a Serb or a Croat or a Bosnian Muslim. Um, so those were the two factors that tended to indicate um, that a country was heading down the path towards instability and violence. So when it comes to the United States specifically and, and the current moment, there are a couple of additional things or more specific things that I would have in mind as factors, one of which is essentially calls for violence, warnings of civil war, calls for civil war. So, you know, a former uh, candidate for VP saying, uh, you want to be in a civil war? Because that's what's going to happen. We need to rise yeah. up and take our country back. Yeah. Um, and this sort of the rash of acts of politically motivated, uh, motivated violence, like at, like at Charlottesville or what happened to Paul Pelosi or, or yeah. maybe even the insurrection. Yeah. How do those things factor in for you? Do they seem unusual? Do they seem normal? Do they seem like harbingers of a potential civil war? Um, they're not unusual. They are sort of the observable indicators that some pretty... Uh, scary stuff is happening behind the scenes. We actually know who tends to start civil wars, and it's not the people that most people think. It's not the poorest groups in society. It's it's not the most heavily discriminated groups. It's certainly not immigrants. All three of those types of groups definitely are have reasons to want to rebel. Their problem is that they don't have the capacity they're poor, they're struggling. The government tends to watch them very carefully because they think they might cause trouble. The groups that tend to start civil wars are the groups that had once been politically dominant but are in decline. And that could happen for lots of reasons. Um, so immigration and changing demographics um, often precipitate this. And, and the group that is losing demographically, especially in democracies, and especially in democracies based on majority rule, where the winner takes all, you know, many of them feel that it's their right to rule, um, that they were the founding group of a country, and therefore um, they should legitimately rule. And so when that demographic change is happening and you have a declining um, majority, a declining dominant group, um, they're trying to work within the system. If you look historically, they work within the system as long as the system serves them. And when it starts not to serve them, meaning they start to lose elections, they start to not have the numbers to defeat other groups in their country, then you have what we call violence entrepreneurs, the more radical um, individuals in that group who begin to start the narrative that the system isn't working, the system is broken, that, you know, we're going to have to do something else to hold on to power. Um, and they will say that violence, because of their position in society, that violence is a legitimate means for them to hold on to control. So by the time you start hearing, you know, people in leadership positions saying, you know, we're going to take our country back, uh, you know, a civil war is, is on the horizon. 
Um, this demographic change has often been taking place for quite some time. Um, and, and the movement is becoming more desperate because they're seeing that working within the system is no longer working. So the U.S. has had a civil war before based on Southern white slaveholders not wanting to give up their power. Uh, but that was geographically divided. And the U.S. doesn't seem geographically divided in the same way now. Can you tell us some things about how a civil war now would look different from our first civil war? If it's not too depressing to, to say first civil war, like there's going to yeah. be another one. Exactly, exactly. Um, you, you know, oftentimes people tell me they're like, well, another civil war isn't going to happen because um, secession today you know, can't happen. Well, it's not going to happen. What we have in the 21st century um, tends to look much more like insurgencies. And insurgencies are sort of lower grade civil wars. They tend to be decentralized. They tend to be fought by um, militias um, using guerrilla warfare, using domestic terror, where they, they consciously target uh, certain groups, minority groups, opposition leaders, um, anybody who's standing in the way of them continuing to hold power. Um, and so it looks more like what you saw, for example, in Northern Ireland during their civil war, which they, I, for reasons I don't understand, call the Troubles. Or it looks more like what you saw in Israel um, with Hamas using terror attacks, um, you know, suicide bombing, um, bus attacks, um, you know, attacks on, on infrastructure um, and markets than it will ever look like what we saw in the 1860s, which was really a very, very unusual type of civil war. But, uh, you know, what do you say to the people who say, you know, you're, you're being alarmist, um, there's nothing to worry about, uh, we're overreacting, you know, even if something were to start, uh, the military would intervene, right? This, this, this country isn't going to fall apart, you can't have a secession, uh, if any trouble breaks out, the military will, 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 will put it down. Uh, what, do you, what do you say to people like that who say, just don't, don't worry, it's not going to happen? Uh, well, I wish they were right. Um, I, I wish it were the case that if we just put our heads in the sand and just thought about, you know, rainbows and unicorns, <laughs> um, that life would turn out all right. And of course, that's what the radicals want us to do, right? They they want us to be distracted. They want us um, to feel like there is no growing cancer in our society because that gives them time to organize and that gives them time to train. Um, but if you look at the data and the data on everything from the number of militias around the country to the number of hate crimes to the rate of domestic terror, every measure has been increasing um, since about 2008. So we have hard data showing that, in fact, there's significant growth out there. We now know that January 6th was not um, an uncoordinated event with just lots of individuals going to D.C. on that day. No, there was lots of coordination. Um, in fact, the, it was the first time that some of the biggest militias, the Proud Boys, the Three Percenters, um, were actually kind of forming an alliance um, against the federal government. So we we have the data. I, and then I think if you look back, there was this 
fabulous um, op-ed written by, I think, five former generals. And they, they crossed, you know, all, both party lines who, who said that one of their greatest fears was that if war broke out, that the military would not remain neutral, that what they were seeing um, within their own ranks was increasing divisions and that they couldn't guarantee that the military wouldn't break into two different sides and begin to support whoever their preferred side was so that they would not, we couldn't count on the military to be a neutral intervener to stop this from happening. You're listening to a special edition of Philosophy Talk. We're thinking about American futures in honor of our late colleague, co-host, and friend, Ken Taylor. We've been talking with Barbara Walter from UC San Diego, author of How Civil Wars Start and How to Stop Them. You can listen to the rest of this episode by purchasing it on iTunes Music. Or for unlimited listening, subscribe to our archive at philosophytalk.org.